Welcome to Understanding the Law, Week in Review. The show is hosted by Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes and is a service of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law, Week in Review is a weekly radio broadcast discussing recent legal and business news. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. And now, your hosts, Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes. Good morning, Bob. You back with me? <laughs> I am, yeah. It was, uh, apparently, nobody told the, uh, the service that we were back from vacation. You know... When I was away, nothing worked. When I'm back, nothing worked. Maybe this is a sign. <laughs> we may need to go. We may need to go terrestrial. Might work better. I don't know. So, all right. Hopefully, that's the end of the technical issues. But well, right, welcome so back, regardless. Yeah, we're back. All right. So before we get going with uh, with this week's Week in Review, I just want to um, remind everybody that you should you know, call in and, and be part of this conversation. The uh, call-in number, if you want to have um, either something that you know you add to the conversation today or, or your own question that you'd like to, to pose, 347-855-8831. I also want to take a second to thank our sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com backslash UTL radio, you will get a 30-day free trial, and it allows you to download one free audiobook. It's no risk. It's cancel anytime. Um, just put in that, that password that I just gave you. Go to that special, um, that special URL, and you will get your free book. So even if you don't want to join the service, get your free book. It's certainly worth it. Um, maybe there's books on uh, how to set up better radio and podcasting solutions. Maybe I should take my own advice and download one for myself. So maybe I'll do that. I don't know if I'm allowed to use that link, but I'm going to give it a try later. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> also remember that you can contact us um, via our social media pages. Uh, Twitter, it's at PJL Law. YouTube, you can search up the name of the firm or go to PJ Lamont one and then on Facebook, just facebook.com backslash PJL Law. So we're back. Problems behind us now. You ready to go, Bob? I think we are, yeah. All right, let's give it a try. <laughs> That's all right, yeah. No, and, you know, and, and even, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, the uh, law continues. And uh, some development's been made in some different cases this week. And uh, actually, we have an update for one that we'll talk about later on. Uh, Georgia man. You remember this case, and actually it seems like it's been something that's happened quite a bit, has been charged with murder in his son's hot car death. A George man whose toddler son died after he was left in a hot car for seven hours has been charged with murder in a case that has drawn widespread attention amid prosecutors' claims that he intentionally left the boy alone. Cobb County Grand Jury on Thursday indicted Justin Ross Harris on multiple charges, including malice murder, felony murder, and cruelty to children. The malice murder charge indicates that prosecutors intend to prove Harris intentionally left his son Cooper in the hot car to die. The eight-count indictment also includes charges related to sexually explicit exchanges prosecutors say Harris had with an underage girl. 
Harris has told police that he was supposed to drive his son to daycare the morning of June 18th, but drove to work instead and forgot the child was in the back of the car that he was driving uh, to movie after work as well. Uh, after the evidence presented by police detectives, Harris was exchanging nude photos and racy messages online with several women as his son was in the hot SUV. He looked at websites promoting a child-free lifestyle, and he showed little emotion when questioned about his son's death. Obviously, the publicity around this is going to make it difficult when the case goes to trial, or if it does. Uh, police have questioned Harris's wife as well, Leanna, and she has hired a criminal defense attorney, but no charges have been filed against her as of yet. The indictment accusing Harris of asking a girl to send him a nude photo and of sending nude photos of himself and sexually explicit messages to her, um, these charges are attempting to also uh, sexually exploit a child with disseminating harmful material to a minor. Now, prosecutors likely will uh, throw those charges in, they say, because they'll be able to bring them up for evidence at the trial. The judge could rule they're inadmissible without the related charges, according to prosecutors. The defense will likely try to obviously have those charges isolated into a separate trial. A trial. This thing has gotten, not only this, this case is just rolling downhill, Peter, but you know, you, it's not something that's gone away. People have continuing to do this stupid thing, number one. Um, but, you know, when, with this particular case, um, you know, are these, is this prosecutor taking the right angle are they are they going to get this guy how are they, how much can they prove on this guy basically well you know it all comes down really if you're going to if you're going to try to prove a murder charge you've got to have that intent people sometimes get confused between criminal and civil cases and in civil cases intent is typically not a factor that you need to consider um, you know negligence doesn't require intent negligence is you know stupidity you made a mistake but criminal complaints and, and criminal trials, they involve intent and the level of intent, the ability to, uh, to prove that intent uh, and to have a jury believe it is really what's at stake here, uh, what they have to try to prove. And I think that the way the prosecutor is trying to set it up is to get this evidence before a jury to suggest that this guy didn't care about his kid, uh, had other things on his mind, including illegal activity with children, to try to show that he was, um, you know, really just a bad guy and not a good father at all. But the interesting question is whether that information is going to be admissible because um, the way that courts look at, it, at evidence, right, is they're going to look and they're going to see, they're going to ask whether something's admissible. And what is the, the baseline for that? Well, they're going to say, is it relevant? And, I mean, what do you think? I mean, clearly, right, you would think that, well, this information's relevant. He left the kid in the car so that he could run into work and start texting nude pictures. So you would think it's relevant, right? Oh, absolutely. Right. So and that's, I'm wondering, is, is, that, is that why they're trying, they're saying that the defense was going to try to split these up, even if they try to take them all to trial at one time? Well, I think they're going to try to, to show what he was doing at the time, why he forgot the kid. But the interesting thing with trials and admissibility of evidence is that just because it's relevant doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be admissible. In order for evidence that is relevant to be considered admissible, there's a test. Does the probative value of that evidence outweigh a prejudicial effect? So in other words, if you put that information before a jury, is it going to set them off to the point where they can't fairly decide this issue? And this issue is, did he intend to leave the kid in the car? Did he intend to leave him in the car or was it accidental? And it's going to be 
I think, hard for a prosecutor to get all of this information in, because I don't think some of it's relevant. Uh, Well, it's relevant, but I don't think some of it's admissible. So um, it's going to be hard for them to prove intent. But when you're dealing with kids and you're dealing with a guy who um, clearly seems to be more than just inattentive. I mean, first of all, I don't know how you leave a kid in the car. I, I, at I have any no age, idea at all. Oh, no, no, yeah. You just, that's just something you don't forget. You would like to think. Uh, I mean, I'm sure people make mistakes, but that's one of those things where, gosh, my kid's in the car. Yeah. Where's my no, kid? I've, <laughs> I've driven by my house, not you know, forgetting where I live, but I'd never forget that I have a kid in the car. So I don't know. I, I don't think that that's something that the average person does unless they're under some massive amount of stress during an emergency situation. So that in and of itself obviously is, is negligence. Um, now does it rise to the level of criminal? Uh, well, if they can prove that he intended to kill the kid. And they're trying to tie that in with this idea of, well, he was visiting child-free lifestyle websites. I, I don't know that that's necessarily going to work. But if it's not first-degree murder, it's certainly going to be something. I think, uh, you know, you think this guy... Do you, do you think... Do you think they're trying to push this into where he'll take a plea bargain for something less than, than, than premeditated? I think they're probably going to try to go all the way. And, and you know, obviously when you're dealing with oh. prosecution, there's always that, that, um, that chance of a plea bargain. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's on for manslaughter or some related charge. Whether or not they're going to be able to prove that he intended to kill the kid I think is going to be tough. But manslaughter maybe. So we'll have to see where that goes. And that's going to continue, yeah, because it'll be. I, I was really interested in the fact that the defense, or the the, the comment in the uh, in the article that, that came from the AP was that the defense will try to separate those charges and look what you said, kind of get those prejudicial statements out of the trial because they're not they're not going to be a situation where it's going to really play into what the charges are. Correct? No, it's not. But you know, you could certainly ask. Um, the guy while he's on the stand questions about what he was doing. And, you know, oh, I think that, okay. I think that there's a, a, um, a way that you can kind of get that information in because remember sometimes when a court rules that something's inadmissible, unfortunately the jury's already heard it at that point. There are times when, uh, you know, you, you plan on introducing a piece of evidence and that's going to be outside of the jury's eyes. The judge is going to decide that separately but it's, it's difficult when somebody's testifying. So, you know, I could imagine a scenario where, let's say they have this, uh, this guy's employer on the stand and they were asking questions about him and, um, you know, maybe character questions. And then they got to the point of, uh, was he at work on the day of the incident? Yes. What was he doing? And then the employer says, well, he was, you know, we know because he was on our Wi-Fi or on our network and here's what he was doing, you know, and sure, at that sure, point, sure. you know, the, the defense attorney could make an objection and the judge could say, you know, we sustain the objection and that can't be introduced into evidence, but the jury's already heard it. And oh, I think right, that, okay, yeah. you know, if I was on a jury, which is why I wouldn't be good on a jury ever, if I was on a jury, <laughs> I heard something about a kid. I mean, I just feel like, you know. If it happened to an adult, maybe I have less sympathy, but there's just something, I guess, because I'm a father, you know, when you're dealing with kids, it makes me um, more angry and probably less rational. So I would hear something like this, and right off the bat, I think to myself, I wouldn't do that. How could you do that? But again, I I don't know. I don't know that it's going to be 
considered first-degree murder. I don't know that you're going to be able to prove that he intended to kill the kid. Well, that's where they have to decide whether or not some jail time is going to be better than no jail time. And yeah. obviously, it's going to be difficult to get an, un, a, uh, an untainted jury pool as well. But, well, uh, obviously, with, with the way you feel about children, we'll keep an eye on that as well. Yeah. All um, right, good. And, and speaking, speaking of children, <laughs> this is right, right up our kids' alley. I know mine are getting to that age. Selling used digital media proves troublesome for two Reed Digi executives. Now, if you don't remember Reed Digi. Uh, they are an upstart company, or were an upstart digital company that stirred excitement with a business model around letting consumers buy and sell previously purchased tracks on iTunes, kind of like cars. Um, <laughs> just sell a used car. There's more bad news for the company, however, based on a federal judge's decision on Tuesday. In April, U.S. District Judge Richard Sullivan handed the company a great legal defeat, first of all, by rejecting the company's arguments on summary judgment. Redigi pointed to the first sale doctrine, which limits a copyright owner from exerting authority on secondhand items. But the judge pointed out to the physical impossibility of transmitting the same material object over the Internet. This is, we're not talking about a CD. We're not talking about uh, an LP or a tape. This is a, a digital copy. The embodiment of a digital music file on a new hard disk is reproduction, according to the judge. Well, on Tuesday, Judge Sullivan addressed whether Redigi CEO John Ossenmacher and CTO Larry Rudolph could be held liable on the plaintiff's infringement claims. The issue comes down to how much direction and supervision these two guys exerted on Redigi, and the judge points to the complaint's allegation that they personally conceived of the infringing business model and technology at issue in the case, where the ultimate decision makes the concerning development and implementation of the infringing activity, wow, and directed and approved. Basically, they were in charge. <laughs> yep. The judge assumes the truth of the allegations and uh, proposes a motion to dismiss and writes in his new opinion it's sufficient to advance the claims against the two men. So they're moving to the damage portion of the show instead of the discovery. Redigi hasn't filed any appeals yet. Now, this is where, this is where that personal liability, we've talked about it in small businesses, and this probably started as a small business and grew, how much of that personal liability bleeds into corporate responsibility. I would have yeah. to believe because these guys, these guys were the, the brainchild. And so how deep are these guys in it, Peter, when it comes to uh, responsibility for what happened inside their company? Well, I think that it's going to come down to whether or not they intended to infringe or to, um, you know, they, they were aware of what they were doing being illegal. And I think that it's going to be hard for, in, in this day and age, you know, way past the days where, um, you know, there was some gray area about downloading digital material from the Internet. Um, I think now everybody knows that to unlawfully download a, an MP3 or a video of any sort, uh, that you face problems. I mean, we went through uh, back in the, uh, you know, a few years ago, all that litigation over people that, that were downloading videos and um, we actually represented a couple of them who, I mean, the music industry, the recording industry, they were serious. They were making examples out of people left and right. And, oh, absolutely uh, they were. You know, it, you hear it and you think to yourself, well, I've, I've never seen it. It's kind of like a threat. But I was shocked because I guess it was like 2010. We had two people who were uploading video. And it's, it's really interesting because they were uploading video unknowingly. Because on some of those uh, BitTorrent sites, when you downloaded oh. the BitTorrent client, it unless you clicked a setting, it automatically uploaded portions of the materials that you were downloading. And so 
Oh. Yeah, they were looking for like a hundred thousand dollars for each for each uh, you know of of these two clients that we had. So it was you know serious stuff. Um, you make a good point though, because if they know that they were infringing, if they knew that they were doing something that was illegal, um, could they have personal liability? And the answer is yes. It's going to hinge on whether or not this is really you know, a clear-cut thing where somebody would say, yeah, I know what we're doing is illegal, but let's do it anyway. You know, this also sure, raises sure. a really interesting point. When you go on iTunes or you download music, you download a, a movie, right? Do you own that? I'm going to uh, ask you that. I don't, know. I, I, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I would say I do if I've paid for it. I own the use of it, but I do not own the distribution rights. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. When you okay. used to, when you'd go to the store and you'd buy a VHS tape or a DVD or a Blu-ray, you own, you had physical possession of it. You owned it, so you could do with it whatever you wanted, with the exception of violating copyright. So you couldn't copy it and then distribute it. You couldn't copy it and sell it. You could, under a, a, a much older um, Betamax decision. Remember Beta? Tapes, remember those? <laughs> you said Betamax, I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> right? I, I remember having yes. one of those video cameras. My parents had one of those. You know, you had to wear the thing over you. It was gigantic. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. you had like you, the big. You, you wore a deck with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, years ago, when the VHS tapes and Beta, you know, uh, Max Wars were going on, because if you remember, VHS was competing against Beta. Um, there was a lawsuit concerning the duplication of those type tapes. And it, it involved a manufacturer who had created a tape deck that could record tapes, you know, from deck to deck. Ah, okay. And sure. a lawsuit was filed, and they essentially argued that you've created a device which is used for infringing use, and therefore the device is illegal, you violated copyright law. And the courts ruled that, no, the device itself, although it has the capability of being used for some sort of infringing use, the, the machine itself was, was not a violation. Because you could back up your home movies. There are things that you could do with it that did not constitute infringing use. So, you know, back then you owned the tape. If you wanted to copy a copy, make a copy of a tape and keep it on your shelf as a backup, Right, so you bought sure. Top Gun on, on yeah, VHS, great idea. and mm -hmm. it degrades in quality over the years, just like cassette tapes did. So, if you wanted to make a backup and keep it on your shelf, you were permitted to do that. You owned it. Now, you know, you go to iTunes, and I know that for my, myself, my kids, I don't think I bought a DVD in, in years now because it's just so much easier to buy it off of iTunes. It connects to everybody's devices. And there's no storage, which is nice because, you know, I've got too much stuff anyway. I've got tons of videotapes that I just can't throw out, DVDs. But you don't actually own it. You, you own a license. And That's your license... The license is what you want. Yeah. So you have, you have a license to view it. You have a license to download it. But you don't, ha you don't actually own it. And that even leads to another question, which is, well, what do you do when you die? If you've amassed 500 videos and 2,000 albums, what do you do with those? Can you pass them on? Can you will them? Because if you own them, 
I could give you my entire cassette collection when I drop dead. I even have 8-track, by the way. <laughs> I have an 8-track player that still works. I have an 8-track in my RV. Oh, man. See? So you, you would benefit <laughs> from me dying and you inheriting my 8-track collection. I'm, going to, I'm putting a contract on your head. <laughs> but so, like, you own those things and you could will them. But you right now can't will a licensing right. So it's mm. interesting because you don't really own what you have purchased. And, you know, is that fair? I don't know. It is what it is. That's well. Yeah, that's well. And that's the, that's the change in the industry, obviously, uh, with, with the fact that it, it doesn't really exist anymore. Technically, you're, like what you said, you're buying that license. You can't, it's not tangible. You can't hold it in your hand anymore, so you can't you really own it. Right. Right. And, you know, that's, I, I that's often... That's a great point. I wonder, I know Apple is never going to go out of business, but I, I've often opined, what happens if you have purchased all this media content and the company goes out of business, what do you do? How do you get it back? What if the company doesn't have enough money? Like, for example, you know, Amazon's huge, but Amazon's had problems as far as, as generating significant revenue over the years. There's been a couple of years when I think that they've you know, just broken even, essentially. But imagine purchasing from a company like Amazon, and 20 years from now, Amazon goes out. Where does all that digital content go? They can't afford to reimburse everyone for the money that they spent. What happens? And I think that it would be a real interesting thing to see because I would imagine that uh, somebody's going to have to give somebody their rights you know, either through another medium or another company, but it's just very, very um, amorphous. It's not something you said it. It's not a tangible item that you can hold anymore. No, and that's where you have to make a decision in your own life is how you're going to deal with those instances. And, you know, when it comes to pictures, I mean, gosh, pictures aren't even tangible anymore. You know, well, everybody wants to upload them to the cloud or they print them out or, or get them on a disk. You have to make that decision in your own life obviously, because and, and it's a much bigger question than the case, but uh, make that decision as to how you want to keep those things in per se perpetuity. Yeah, you know, I think what we haven't seen yet is the courts ruling on issues like inheritance of digital files just because of the, the generations. So the people that are dying now, for the most part, and I'm very you know, being very general, they're older people. They're in their 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and they, they, they were able to skip over the, the digital craze, the digital revolution. So for those people that own music or videos, they probably don't own a lot of digital content. And so I don't think we've had the opportunity to have the courts really seriously start addressing these issues. But as everyone ages and digital content's been around now for a while, I think you're going to see people that are in their 50s, 60s now that understand digital content, that own it. And when they die, I think we're going to start seeing um, some court rulings and decisions. And I think that it's going to be something that, uh, you know, I'm sure insurance companies are going to jump on board and, and you know, part of your estate planning. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point, yeah. Who, who gets my computers and who has my passwords? Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, too. You know, this is, I mean, we could go on and on, but that, that's also interesting because um, if you have an iPod or you have an iPhone and you sell that phone, or let's just say it's an iPod, you sell that iPod and it's loaded with, 
with digital content, are you able to do that? You would think that you are because you bought the songs, but the reality of it is that you're not because you don't own it. Yeah. Right. So it's licensed to you. You sell your device. Have you infringed on, on copyright? Technically, yeah, it's crazy, but it's true. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a big, big <laughs> morass of information that is, is, like you say, is yet to even come to light as it gets more and more complicated. Yeah, and I think that it's something that will develop over time, and I think that as, as we see the generational shift, I think you're going to have attorneys who are specializing in digital content um, or digital file uh, estate planning, and I think it's going to be really something uh, something unique that we're all going to have to learn through. The same way we've learned through things like legalized marijuana, um, and and the whole idea of of just switching from eight track to cassette to to DVD to laser disc. I mean, the progressions happen so rapidly, sure. and I, I think that uh, you know the courts have done a pretty good job up to this point, I think, of deciding issues, but it, it was, I think, easier to decide those issues when you're talking about tangible items. I think this digital sure. idea and the cloud, I think it's, it's different, but... Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, and actually, a, a new arm of elder law. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I really you think okay? so. <laughs> it was a gigantic oh. bus that just drove by. <laughs> You ought to think about an inside office. <laughs> I, I should, right? Well, that's why oh, that well, cycle, sitting out on that street corner is just not uh not Get yourself conducive. a cheesesteak and get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, staying on trademarks and copyrights, uh, defense of Disney's opposition to Dead Mouse trademark. Now, who is Dead Mouse, first of all, you're going to ask yourself? I kind of know who this guy is, but uh, six months ago, HollywoodReporter.com broke news that Disney was investigating a trademark registration filed by the company owned by EDM star Joel Zimmerman. Now, he is Dead Mouse, and it's spelled D-E-A-D-M-A-U-5, Dead Mouse, of course. Why, why, how of else course. would you pronounce that? <laughs> <laughs> Providing notice of a potential challenge isn't unusual at the Trademark and Trial Board. Now, Disney has filed formal formal papers opposing the attempted registration of a mark consisting of a caricature of a mouse head with black ears, black face, white eyes, and a white mouth. If you've seen this thing, it looks very similar to one Mickey Mouse. According to Disney, applicant's mouse ears mark is nearly identical in appearance, connotation, and overall commercial impression to Disney's mouse ears marks, accordingly. Applicant's mouse ears mark so resembles Disney prior used and registered Disney's mouse ears marks as to be likely when used in connection with applicants' products and services to cause confusion or to cause mistake or to deceive. Now, Dead Mouse tweeting that Disney thinks you might confuse an established electronic musician performer with a cartoon mouse. That's how stupid they think we are. Well, they're not the ones trying to co- copyright it. Pointing out a lack of consumer conf- uh, confusion is one thing, but what then is Dead Mouse's intent in gaining trademark registration in the first place? If he's successful in registration, indeed his attorney says the musician has the trademark in 30 countries, he'll have the automatic right to sue others in federal court. So is it really a good idea to raise the issue of stupidity when the preemptive legal step he's taking, which is the registration of the trademark, is grounded upon the presumptive gullibility of consumers? He's 
fighting exactly what he's for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and now you, you start know, to, you, you, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, well, it was, was it a couple weeks ago we were talking about the pizza place down in Florida and the New Jersey Turnpike Authority's logo. Right. It's, it's, you know, a very similar case, but the flip here is that someone's trying to apply for a copyright. They're saying, oh, well, why are you fighting me on this? It's no big deal. Well, if it's no big deal, why are you copywriting it? You know, I think that um, the, the, you make a good point with the, uh, the Turnpike thing. I mean, remember the Turnpike thing is there's a pizza joint down in Florida that uses what looks to be the New Jersey Turnpike symbol as its logo. And I think that who's going to use pizza with a pike? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm in Florida. I do not think that the, the New Jersey Turnpike Authority is making this pizza. I just don't buy it. But if you've ever seen this guy, it's, it's possible that someone could think to themselves, because I'll tell you the truth. The first time I ever saw this guy, first time, it is very similar. And I, I looked at yeah. it and I thought, well, I wonder if this is something sponsored by Disney. Is this guy an artist under a Disney-owned record? And, you know, I, I looked into it and then realized, no, it's just this, this guy that, you know, decided to wear a gigantic mouse head that glows, and he called it a mouse. I mean, it's not like he's creating something that could be conceived or, or viewed as a mouse head. He's actually calling himself Dead Mouse, and it looks like a mouse, and it looks like a Mickey Mouse. It just does. So I don't, I don't look, Disney's a very, very strong uh, powerhouse uh, legally, I've I've had some uh, business dealings with them, um, and you know there's very little negotiating with Disney. They they're very powerful, and I think that yeah. this guy I don't know it'll be interesting to find out what happens, but I I, I think that Disney might win. Well, my my first thought on it is if all Disney needs to do is go back and see if this guy ever ever wore Mickey Mouse ears and performed. <laughs> <laughs> It goes back to five at a birthday yeah. party. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why he's. I, I first saw the name. I thought it was Dead Mouse Five. I don't know. And now come to find out, it calls the guy Dead Mouse. I'm not that young that I understand who this guy is, or probably have even heard any of his stuff. But um, is is I guess you know I don't think it's a, too much of a David and Goliath thing here too much. But is this guy just kind of I mean in, in trying to copyright it? What is he trying to prevent if he's not worried about it? That's the biggest thing that doesn't make sense to me. You know, I he, don't if know. A, if, he's, if, he's, if he's worried about Disney getting on him, why is he even worried about it? Move yeah, on. I, I don't know what he's doing exactly. I, I really think that he probably had wanted to go to Disney when he was like 12 years old and his parents wouldn't <laughs> take him. And he's hated Mickey Mouse ever since, hence Dead Mouse. And I think that that's Mouse, what he's I want to go to his house. I want him dead. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you won't go through the whole side tribe, but you get my point. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know why he's doing what he's doing. Sure. Because I don't, I don't know who's gonna. I'm, I, I don't. The symbol is very similar. It, it does create some confusion. I think if you know who he is and what he is, fine. But I think that it can create confusion. And, and that's one of the tests under the trademark laws. Does it create confusion? Ah, and I point. think 
Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make a difference if, um, you know, you and I know, in, in general, to the general public, does it create confusion? I think yes. Is it so similar? Yeah, I think yes. So I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of on Disney's side with this one. Um, interesting. He has trademarks in other countries. Those trademarks would theoretically be allowed to stay unless Disney won and Disney said that it's so similar. Then you've got to look at where these other trademarks are registered. Um, you know, can Disney go back and, and try to invalidate some of these other trademarks? And, and generally, no is the answer. Um, but, you know, it would certainly be an interesting fight. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting, too, though, that Disney feels that this guy is that much of a threat, although they, they really do pursue just about everybody. Oh, sure, yeah, no, that's, uh, there's, there's trucking companies that the same, do the same thing. As soon as you apply for authority in a state, they'll challenge you. Yeah. Just, just to see if you really want to be a trucking company and, and yeah. drag everything into court just to do it. So, uh, yeah, like you say, Disney's, Disney's just Disney and, and it's, it's just one of those things that's just going to play out. And <laughs> you know, a few I think, years ago, I think you and I will be unaffected by it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it won't affect my music listening. I'll be okay. Um, you know, Here's here's a, here's a question though. You know, I just kind of thought about this. You know, when you had mentioned earlier that it causes confusion, but what you didn't discuss was intent. Now you look at the two cases we just discussed, the the, the Mickey Mouse thing. Do you have to prove intent in the confusion? Yes or no. And with the New Jersey Turnpike and the Pike Pizza, was there intent there? No, intent's not an element. Um, it, okay. It's just okay. does it. Does it, is it so similar that it, it can create the likelihood of confusion among the average person? has nothing to do with intent. Um, generally speaking, intent is only used as a measuring stick in criminal cases or in civil oh, fraud okay, cases. Okay. In civil oh, okay, fraud okay. cases, you have to be able to show that you intended to deceive. So, I did you... Uh... Uh, right. It, um, Redigi. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So in that case, you know, have you committed fraud? Well, the elements of fraud are, um, you know, some sort of misrepresentation or, or or misstatement that is intended to deceive. And in fact, it did deceive, etc. Um, but yeah, that element of intent is typically reserved for criminal and then fraud, and then there's a handful of other smaller uh, causes of action. But in the civil setting especially in trademark, copyright, intellectual property, intent's not necessary. Um, and it, it's just not an element. It's not an element in um, breaches of contract or uh, negligence or uh, even you know, things like medical malpractice. Intent's not a, a necessary element. Okay, okay, okay. So there you go. Yeah, if you're a businessman and you're, you're thinking that what you might be doing is wrong or you're planning something, you might want to reconsider. Well, you know what? You have to think about it. And you, you know, you, you raised something that, that happened a few years ago. A few years ago, we were working with a very small, um, it was a dry cleaner. Uh, they had had environmental issues in the past, so they went out and they hired us to look into uh, the, the sort of rebuilding of their business now that they weren't polluting the environment and they wanted to do everything the right way. And they insisted on 
having a logo that looked like Snoopy from, you know, Charlie Brown. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I said to them, well, is it right? No. I mean, from a legal perspective, you don't have authority to use that symbol. By using the symbol, you are violating trademark. You are infringing. Um, there definitely is confusion. It looks just like Snoopy. And even though you're not calling him Snoopy, it's identical. And they said to me, well, who's going to drive by from, you know, the peanuts company and see Snoopy <laughs> in the window and then sue me. And to an extent, that's a valid point, but try that with the NFL and see what happens. You know, go to your store and, and, and put a big, uh, you know, unauthorized NFL sign or football helmet and see what happens because the NFL is one of these companies like Disney known to aggressively protect their copyright, their trademark, their intellectual property. So as a, as a business owner of any size, before you do something, ask. You gotta, you've got to go to a qualified attorney and say, is this something that we can do? And then the key to all of this, Bob, here's the key. You ready? Yeah, yeah. When the attorney tells you something, you've got to listen to him. That's the key. <laughs> ah, what does that guy know? He just knows what he's talking about. Yeah, by the way, did I <laughs> that pay for that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and, and that's the thing. You know, you're asking me. I'm telling you. <laughs> you should probably heed what I'm telling you. You're asking. You don't know. Yeah, so, yeah that's, that's a good point. If, if you're going to pay, pay for the advice, take it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we're here to help Are you. you. A big not, am I a big what? Yeah. Are you a big coffee drinker? I've become a bigger coffee drinker in the last five years. So, yes. Now, do you hit the, uh, the, 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 the kiosks on the corner, the little places, that, uh, the old photo mats, if you will? Now they may call them coffee yep. mats. Yep. You, so you hit those. Okay, the drive-thrus. Yep. Now, does Wisconsin, just Wisconsin, does New Jersey have any of the bikinis, uh, baristas? You know, um, not that I'm aware not of. Not that you would know. Not that you not, would not know. That I would, what no, you no. heard? <laughs> Yeah, you know, when my wife asks me to take her out for coffee, I, I typically try to avoid the topless and bikini coffee bars. <laughs> that seems sexist to me. Um, <laughs> I know Grand Rapids, <laughs> it wouldn't be a big deal if you, you disarm the problem. Uh, Grand Rapids here in Michigan had tried it a little bit ago. Well, findlaw.com telling us about something that's happening out in Washington. The owner of five drive through coffee stands featuring bikini-clad female baristas has pled, or pleaded guilty to prostitution and money laundering charges. Oops. As part of her deal with prosecutors, Carmela Panico, the 52-year-old owner of Espresso Huts in Everett, Washington, agreed to cease operations and hand ownership of her coffee stands over to the city. According to the Daily Herald, Panico also agreed to testify against a formal pol former police officer who allegedly helped her avoid detection in exchange for, of course, sexual favors from herself. Now, bikini coffee stands apparently becoming increasingly common in the Northwest, with the city of Everett in particular seeming to be a hotbed for hot coffee served by hot women, half-clothed. But police say the women at Panico stands, which include the aptly named Jabba Jugs and Twin Peaks, were offering a lot more than coffee <laughs> with a side of eye candy. The baristas reportedly... I use that term reportedly, engaged in sex shows and prostitutions with customers for a little extra money on the side. Baristas who worked at Panico stands 
allegedly earned hundreds of thousands of dollars with one barista telling police she earned half a million dollars, according to the Daily Herald. That's some hot coffee. Uh, don't get it in your don't get it in your lap. The women said Panico knew about and even encouraged this ancillary income stream, using her own profits from the criminal enterprise to finance her lavish lifestyle and buy more coffee stands, often with cash. Jeez, oh man, people! <laughs> when are people going to figure out you cannot buy things with cash? Try to write them off and then don't tell anyone where you got the cash. Yeah, right. Panico also admitted to money laundering, which is felony under Washington state law in exchange for cooperation, though, in the upcoming trial of a former police sergeant who was accused of undercutting police investigations into the coffee stands in exchange for favors. Prosecutors are recommending that Panico be sentenced to two days in jail in addition to the two days she's already served. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, I guess criminals are stupid because they're criminals, but... At what point do you really think you're going to hide this money? Yeah. People, people don't. People, people. I'm a businessman. I understand. I get it. I know how it works. Um, you have to show the government where you get the money that you're spending. You can't spend twenty thousand dollars on a credit card and show you only made fifteen thousand dollars for the year. It's going to be difficult to prove where you got that money from. Yeah. Um, where, you know, and, and I, I'm, the, the thing is, I mean, where I want to push this, Peter, and you may have a different thought on this, is for a business owner that deals in a large amount of cash, the easy answer is make sure you record the cash. But are there things that people do that are stupid, that get tripped up, that are easy they shouldn't have done, Peter, other than overspending? Yeah. You know, first of all, let's just look at this woman for a second. You know, the idea of having the bikini coffee shop, while some people might be offended by it, others might not, that in and of itself is not an issue. She could have done that. She no. could have had a successful, right, right, right. you know, there was absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, and even if she had either not encouraged or had not been aware and, and you know, reasonably not been aware of that, one or two of these coffee girls were actually prostitutes, she'd probably be okay. Um, but, you know, you have her with the money laundering. Now, the, it's interesting because I would bet that the money laundering was a, a sort of a, a tacked-on charge. Um, they probably didn't even know for certain. I think that what they were really going after was the prostitution and then obviously you can see from where it's gone with her spending a total of four days in jail that they're really looking for her cooperation because apparently there's a, a police officer who was getting nipples with his coffee. And that's really <laughs> who they're trying to go after. So it's interesting. From a business standpoint, she probably had a decent business model. Very foolish, though, for um, you know, engaging in the illegal activity. And then, of course, whenever you do something illegal, the government, the prosecutor, the police, whoever it might be, they're going to look to see at other things that you've done. And that takes us now to the question of what, what you raised. If you are a business that deals in cash, how do you operate? What are the mistakes you make? And, and what kind of businesses deal in cash? Landscapers, you know, um, pizza joints, small restaurants, things like that, where, where you're seeing a lot of, uh, of cash. You have to be careful. I'm not an accountant. I know that there are some accountants that tell their clients, well, you know, you only have to report X amount 
Um, that whole thing scares me because, you know, that's why I don't give tax advice ever because it, it's really when you're dealing with, um, with landscapers or freelancers or, or anybody like that, it's, it's hard to tell. There's this landscaper guy that I, I have done some work with, and he's constantly asking for tax advice that I refuse to give him because his whole point is, <laughs> is you know, I don't make a lot of money. The money that I'm making, that, that's, that's cash. Why do I have to report that? Well, you know, do we really need to go through that? Because I, I, I it just, I've got people that, that come in here, right, and they'll argue things like, did you know that the IRS isn't legally authorized to charge taxes. Did you know that this is all a conspiracy theory? Oh, it, sure, it, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. And, and who knows? But what are you going to do? You're going to fight with them? I'm, I'm not going to fight with them. So getting an accountant and listening to the accountant is key. And then if you have an accountant who seems to be suggesting that you not tell the truth, then I think you've got to at least get a second opinion because – are, are there areas where accountants will um, fudge things or exaggerate? I'm sure, because I, I guess it's within the bounds of what's acceptable. But messing around with taxes is a big problem. And that whole idea um, of messing around with money and lying, I think, extends to so many cases that we're seeing right now. In particular, I don't know if you follow out there, and I'm sure you're not a big uh, Real Housewives reality television show junkie, but... I can't live without it. Can't live without it. I, I thought so. But here in <laughs> Jersey, right, you've got the, uh, the Real Housewives of New Jersey, and one of the, the hotter stories has been the Teresa and Joe Judice uh, criminal prosecution. And it involves bankruptcy fraud and mortgage fraud and, and all, all sorts of other financial frauds. And he was a guy who was a contractor by trade, um, a peer or always appeared to have a ton of money, huge house. You know, money wasn't an issue. But uh, it, it turns out that they're being prosecuted for all this, this fraud, all different types of financial fraud. Once they get you on one charge... They know they're going to be able to find all sorts of other things, and that's what happened with this woman. And uh, it's really stupid to do that in general. You can't, you know, file bankruptcy and lie about your assets. You, you just you can't. You get caught. There are too many checks and balances for you to get away with it. And I think that... Especially if uh, you're on a nationally syndicated television show. People are going yeah, to see things. People are. <laughs> I can't, I can't figure that out. You know, once you bring attention to yourself and, um, you know, it just, it makes no sense to me. But even somebody like, you know, our bikini uh, coffee girl, it just does not make any sense why they would, would go that extra step and, and push something like pro prostitution when they know it's illegal. But, you know, I think it's that, just that general idea of I'm not going to get caught. I know what I'm doing. I'm, oh, sure, uh, yeah. You can get away with it. Sure. You know, years ago, I'll tell you a quick, quick funny story. Years ago, there was a, a guy who owned a wig store, and he wasn't making any money. So he decided that he was going to commit arson, and he was going to go in, and he was going to uh, burn down the store. So he went in one night and, uh, and, and set fire to the contents of the store. Um, didn't do a good job. 
and left his own toupee on top of the cash register. And, of course, when the police came in, they put out the fire, and they realized that, oh, With look, his toupee. Charlie's toupee is here. Uh, oh, look, there's a gas can. And they were able to, to connect the dots and figure out it was Charlie. It just People do stupid things because they think they think they're smarter than the system, but in today's day and age, I think you, you can't get away, unless you're a career criminal and you really know how to run scams. I, I, if I did something wrong, I'd have the SWAT team on me in a second because I'm not smart enough to, to commit a crime. You know? But <laughs> people think they are. The fear of prison keeps me in line, Peter. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you on that. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't work for everyone in the criminal justice system. <laughs> not at all. Oh, man. Well, the, uh, we'll get on to a little lighter subject here. Um, <laughs> this is, I, you know, I'm not even sure... Uh, how to take this one or really how to stand on this one. The DMV in South Carolina is being sued over a boy's right to wear makeup in a driver's license photo. No, he's not a member of KISS. A South Carolina boy and his mother are suing the state's DMV over his right to wear his, quote-unquote, everyday makeup in his driver's license photo. Teresa Culpepper, excuse me, Teresa Culpepper has sued the state and the local directors of the South Carolina's Department of Motor Vehicles after her 16-year-old son was refused a driver's license photo in June while wearing foundation, mascara, eyeshadow, and lip gloss, according to Courthouse News Service. Now, the question is, can South Carolina's DMV legally tell a boy to take off his mascara for a license photo? Chase Culpepper, 16, born male, but wears gender non-conforming makeup and clothing, according to a Greenville, South Carolina WYFF television station. Now, an employee at the DMV told Culpepper that he couldn't wear his disguise, quote-unquote, referring to his makeup in his driver's license photo. The lawsuit he and his mother filed in a federal court for discrimination insists otherwise. According to the suit, South Carolina DMV relied on a policy that a driver's license applicant cannot purposely alter his or her appearance so that the photo would misrepresent his or her identity. Now, the Culpeppers argue the makeup and androgynous gender performance are part of his identity. It's only that the DMV's gender stereotyping is preventing him from seeing them from seeing that. Now, the policy is vague and relies on an interpretation of what misrepresenting his or her identity actually means. In South Carolina, DMV is telling males, if they, excuse me, if they wish to tell males not to wear makeup and license photos, but they do allow females the same privilege, the law could potentially be struck down as unconstitutional. Laws and policies which discriminate based on gender typically must serve a government objective or be substantially related to achieving that objective. Now, <laughs> whether or not this is going to make it so far as to the Supreme Court yet to be seen, but, you know, I, the way I look at it is if they just said nobody wears makeup, problem solved as well. Right, right. Now, what? Uh, <laughs> where do they stand on this thing? I mean, this is... This is, you know, you start to look at this non-genderification of the society. And pretty soon do we all have individual bathrooms at sporting events as they're no longer aligned to get into the stalls and no longer the trough that everybody gets to stand around. What, you know, where is this line going to start to be drawn or is that going to continue to change every day? Well, I really hope that doesn't happen because the woman's line is always like a mile and a half longer than the men's bathroom line. That would really be a problem for me. <laughs> 
Well, and every now and then you get the uh, brave woman that says, you know what, I'm going in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. I think I think in this case, I, I really think that, you know, we're in South Carolina and and there's a, you know, more conservative approach in South Carolina. I'll tell you, I, I think this guy gets his picture with his makeup. I think that they're wrong. Whether you are pro or against cross-dressing or, or men wearing makeup or whatever, I think that they're wrong in South Carolina because um, if they can prove that it is part of his identity, what's the difference between you – know, I took my driver's license picture. I had a really big beard, and now I don't. So did that alter my, my look? You know, what if William Shatner gets his license and he's got his, his toupee off, right? So I don't sure. know. I, I, I think that um, I think that this kid gets his picture with makeup. I think they're wrong. You hit on a good you hit on a good point though. The word identity. What does that mean? I I think it's going to come down to this. Is this kid going through a phase where he's going to wear makeup? You know, it doesn't make a difference whether forget the gender issue for a second. You could have somebody who is more of a of a goth type. Um, kid and they're wearing eye makeup and black makeup and you know maybe it's not really who they are but if this kid is um, you know I, I don't know how to, to, to say it politically correctly if this kid wants to dress as a female and this is his identity and who he's been and, and it's not something that uh, you know he's trying for a week I I think that, uh, you know, he should be allowed to do it. And, you know, this raises a more bizarre point. You ready for this one? So Go ahead. Robin Bull, who, um, who filled in for me um, on Thursday and has filled in for me a few times with you, which I appreciate, sent yeah. me this interesting article earlier today um, in Oklahoma. There was a woman who wanted to take her driver's license picture with a pasta strainer on her head because ready she's a pastafarian she's a pastafarian <laughs> a rim shot insert here um. <laughs> well do you know they let her do it because <laughs> the rule is that um she wasn't obscuring her face and she believed it to be a religious symbol uh, a, a part of the Pastafarian, kind of like um, uh, the Flying Spaghetti Monster, the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. So I guess pos- <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's a uh, like a spinoff sect from the Flying Spaghetti Monster Church. Now there's Pastafarians, but the point is is that they allowed her to do it um, because it didn't, you know, distort her face. You could still see it, and, and you know, I think that. If you're allowed to wear a pasta strainer on your head, I think that you should be allowed to wear makeup if you're a guy and that's what you want to do. And again, putting aside feelings of whether or not you think men should wear makeup, that's not relevant. What's relevant is if this is his identity, if this is who he is, if he's going to wear makeup you know, now and, and, and for a period of time, I think he should be allowed to do it. If I want to wear a beard nope. and I shave it off, then you know, does that change me? Well, no. I mean, it's still me. Does it matter, and, and again, here's, here's my next question on this, where it asks about gender on your license, they obviously would still put male, I'm assuming, 
and that's a big assumption. But yeah. is now does that create? Does that does that um, negate the picture in the first place? Does at that point it makes the picture moot? You know, and that's you know an interesting question, and that's something that I I think. Um, it's going to be confused as society develops because in today's world, which is something that we didn't really deal with in the 60s and 70s, you have a lot of of people who are androgynous. And it's clearly uh, not the norm. I think that there are people that are having sex changes and operations, and when they have that sex change, they are now clicking off, you know, the other opposite sex on, on these applications. Uh, what do you do with, you know, I'd like to say a smaller population of people that don't know who they are. Um, I think that it's going to have to come back to, you know, what, what is your, your sex at birth? What's on your birth certificate? If you're not going, yeah, if you're not going to go and have a, a formal medical procedure where your sex is officially changed, then you've got to go look at your birth certificate. And, um, you know, the whole idea of, of, of the driver's license and the homeland security issues is so that the government can keep tabs on you. And well, I say that facetiously, but, um, you know, so that, that somebody can, can readily identify you. And the idea sure. of disguising your your face is something that, that obviously is, is illegal because they want to be able to see you. But I, I don't know. I mean, I... I I think that uh, some of these things are, are unfair. Clearly, the posture strainer on her head, um, that's just silly in my opinion. Uh, but you walk a very fine line when you start arguing religious freedom. Uh, here, this kid's got no religious freedom argument. It's this is what I want to do, and they're calling it a disguise, and he's saying it's who I am. But he's got sure. no religious argument. It's just, uh, you know, I'm a guy, yes, but I like to wear makeup. You know? Yeah, and, I think you're probably the, right. Uh, it's not going to be a big deal. You know what, though, if, if I, I think also, too, and, and maybe I'm just a uh, – I, I don't like to fight all the time, even though I'm a lawyer. You know, sometimes I just like to, to kind of just go easy through life because in, in the course of my work day, I'm fighting with people all the time. If I were that kid, even if I strongly believed that wearing makeup was who I, I was, I think that for the sake of just getting my driver's license, I probably would have taken it off. I probably would have taken yeah, it off. Yep. Got my picture taken, and then as soon as I got out of there, I, I you know, put on some makeup and, and be happy. Um, but, I know Boy George and Ziggy Stardust both heavily interested in the outcome of that. Yeah, but you know what? I bet you any money that Boy George's <laughs> driver's license has a picture of him without makeup. Pee Wee Herman, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he didn't dress up like Pee Wee Herman when he took his driver's license. I didn't know that was a disguise. Well, he's a scary guy. That's how he always was. He's a scary guy when you actually see what he really looks like. But but really, I mean, yeah. you know, what's what's like? You know, you you made a joke at the beginning about Kiss. Did Gene Simmons dress up like the demon for his uh, his driver's license? No. No, and there's a good, there's a good point because it does disguise who he is. Yeah. It, well, you know, it, 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 yeah, that's that's an alteration. If you can't tell who he is. Yeah, I would think with the with the makeup, chances are this kid's gonna be driving. If you wear his makeup every day, and you pull him over, he's gonna be wearing the makeup. Yeah, so you know, in my my view, why make this hard on yourself? Why make a a point like this? Why make a stand? It's a waste of your time and and money and energy. Take the picture without makeup, then wear the makeup. You're good to go. That's how I view things. But <laughs> well, 
And, and, and that's a good point, yeah. And then a lot of people like to make it just more difficult on themselves anyway. Yeah. Uh, for, instance, for instance, maybe painting your car to look like a cop car. <laughs> it's not a good idea? <laughs> nah, you, well, and I'm going to test you on this one, Peter, because I have an update on this one. Uh, okay. Transformers paint job leading to an arrest for impersonating a cop. A Maserati Gran Turismo painted to look like one of the robots from the Transformer movie series guaranteed to get attention. Unfortunately, not the kind you want for one Massachusetts resident. Um, the, ma- the attention got him cited for impersonating a police officer, according to the Patriot Ledger. According to the man's attorney, the owner of the car is a fellow in his late 20s who was a fan of the Transformers movies. Now, one of the robots in the movies, named Barricade, transforms into a police car. The man had his car treated with a temporary plastic spray known as dipping to resemble the Transformer, with white doors on the all-black car and police-style decals. The man was pulled over while driving his car earlier this month and was issued a summons to appear on the charge of impersonating a police officer. Under Massachusetts law, $400 fine, maybe even up to a year in jail. Now, the lawyer telling the Patriot Ledger that his client's paint job was in no way, shape, or form a crime. Unlike many of those cited for impersonating an officer, the man wasn't attempting to pull anyone over or act like a police officer. The man did not have any type of police-style lights on his car either. Now, he plans on removing the decals, but uh, he isn't planning to do so until after he drives to court for his hearing, which was on the 4th of September. Your test is, Peter, do they throw this case out? Do they throw this case out? Or do they get this guy for impersonating a cop driving around in what looks like a cop car? All right. So I'm going to display my vast knowledge of Transformers. You ready? <laughs> yeah. Mine is okay. silent, so go right ahead. All right. All right. <laughs> the barricade character looks just like a cop car because he is. Because the way Transformers in the movie works is that the Transformers are robots who scan other vehicles, other human vehicles, and then become them. They, they, they take ah. that shape. So when Barricade scans the police car, he looks identical to the police car. Now, here's the, here's the question that I would need to know. Were there sirens on top of the car? No sirens, right? There, there were no lights. Okay, so no lights. So it's just a black and white car. No police symbols, I assume. It has a logo on the side, which it does not say it's a Massachusetts police officer. Uh, it says to, I think it said deception. It had like a little, an emblem and said deception. Oh, Decepticon is what it said. See, here we go, because now you got me going with go. Transformers. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to say that they let him go. I'm you say would be... Correct. (laughs) You know, my whole reputation was hinging on that question. I'm sweating bullets here. (laughs) No, they they, they threw their court case out saying that just because he drove around this cop car, this car that looked like a car but didn't have an emblem and didn't make any motions or uh, maneuvers to resemble pulling people over, nor was the individual dressed as a police officer. He's just driving around in the car. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, it's very similar if you've Again. ever seen. They sell these cars, the, the old cop cars at auction. Oh, and then, yeah, yeah. You know, people buy them and then they change the paint job, but they still have the shape of the car. Some of them have the uh, the light that, that, that is still on the car, mm-hmm. the spotlight. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's permissible. I mean, I personally, if I had the money to buy a Maserati, I wouldn't have 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 made it barricade. I would have bought exactly one of, the same thing. What are you doing this car? Right? Right? If I wanted to make a Transformer car, I think I would have bought a big 18-wheeler cab and made it Optimus Prime because that would have been pretty cool. But I don't know. I wonder if people even looked at it and realized that that's what he was trying to be. You know, it was, it was because you can buy these uh, transformer symbols and put them on your car. I used to have one, <laughs> but you know, I don't know that I'd look at, at that car as it drove past me and I'd say, Oh, look, there's a car that looks like, you know, the barricade character. Whereas my kids, by the way, well, they'll see a Camaro that's yellow with a black stripe down it, and that looks just like the cars that the character Bumblebee um, was was appearing like in the movies. But oh, okay, that's, okay. that's because it's a real car with a real paint job. It's, I don't know, I, I, I think that he probably missed the mark. I think it would have kept the Maserati the way it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> Well, what good job, Peter. You got you got one. Yeah, I feel um, good about I myself know. now. You should. Yeah, I think I, the only thing I'm thinking is dipped is like a wrap. You know, you get the your 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 you go around. Sometimes you'll see a vehicle, and it's like, how could they ever paint that? Well, it's right. a vinyl wrap. It's a stick. It's a decal. That's the only thing I'm thinking because the dip doesn't make any sense to me. I think it's probably wrap is a is a better mm-hmm. term there, but I don't know. So you got to look um, into well, that. you won't find it. Yes, you won't find it on this dealership anyway. Uh, <laughs> a car dealer fires a manager for refusing to pray. No, not to, not to Optimus Prime. It's to God. Civil rights suit filed in Camden, New Jersey, your backyard, Peter. Federal court alleges a former manager of a used car dealership named CarSense was fired after objecting to the owner's demands that he participate in Bible study, prayer meetings, and other outwardly religious activities in the workplace. Complaint alleges plaintiff Joseph Howey, I'm going to guess her Howey, H-A-U-G-H-E-Y, was fired from his post as general manager of the Car Sense dealership in Mount Holly, New Jersey, despite having received glowing reviews and having improved profit levels at the dealership. Howey's dismissal came after he told his boss he could not participate in their religious activities, according to the complaint. He was told he was being fired, though, for raising his voice at employees. But according to the lawsuit, that was just a pretext for religious discrimination. Suit claims under New Jersey's Conscientious Employee Protection Act and the New Jersey law against discrimination, and he is seeking past and future unpaid wages and damages for pain and suffering. Now, um, the suit is alleging that um, CarSense company president Eugene Nikonovich and Francis McGowan, the owner and CEO, basically told him that his performance and management of the, empo- of the employees was outstanding, but that he was not acting in the leadership capacity expected of him because he was needed to be more outwardly religious, which I think was the worst thing you could tell this guy. Yeah, oh, he told Nikonovich, yeah, he told Nikonovich that he could not lead a prayer session in an upcoming meeting, and he was not comfortable with expressing religious sentiments public. Well, it wasn't that long after that, on January 15th, when Nikonovich fired Hoey, citing two instances where he yelled at employees as the reason for firing him. So, I mean, if you're going to fire somebody, don't come out and say, man, I think you're doing a great job for the company, but we need you to do this in a religious sense. I know it's outlawed by the Constitution and everything, but we want you to do it and then fire you at all. You've you've, you've set the table. Yeah. Yeah, this is... 
we talked about this a while back when we were talking about um, background checks and screening of employees and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when a, when a company goes and they decide that they're not going to hire someone and it's based upon the fact that, um, you know, maybe so – I'll, I'll give you an example, right? So you're, you're dealing with um, a vending machine company where – you have your employees go out, stock vending machines, and you're taking all the money that's in the vending machines. So you're, you know, you're hands-on. You've got cash in your hand. Or you're a bank teller or anybody that's using you know, money um, in the course of their job. And they have a background checked on, and they do one on, on, on assets. They do an asset search on you. And they realize that you've declared bankruptcy, you've got all this debt, and, and you know, it's unlawful to discriminate against somebody on the basis of their finances. But does that stop a company from looking at it and saying, we don't want this person because they're going to be handling a lot of cash and they have a very, very um, you know, significant problem with money and we're, we're essentially tempting them. We're not going to hire them, but we're not going to tell them why. Is that, does that happen? And it happens all the time. And is there anything sure. wrong with that? Well, you know, I'm not going to argue, um, you know, ethics or, or morals here. I think if you're a company and you find something that you don't like in, in an employee, you, you know, you can't outwardly discriminate against the employee. But does that mean that simply because um, you don't want to discriminate that now you have to hire this person? And the answer is no. So, you know, I, I think that uh, it, it's very stupid to to force somebody to try to um, – engage in any religious activity. And I think that, that people should know better. It, it's the equivalent of, of this. I'm, I happen to be Christian. I, I, you know, believe in God and Jesus. I go to church. Um, but I cannot stand it when the woman down the street from me knocks on my door and wants to invite me to a, a Bible study or prayer group. And then she tells me that I'd be a happier person. You know, I don't like that. And I, I don't think that, that that has any place and although I'm religious, I also don't believe you need to force anything, including religion, on somebody else. So, you know, when you're employed for, for you know, a, a place like, uh, like this, the, the car dealer, should you be forced to say prayers? No. You know, it's like, it's like in the NFL. You know, a lot of those guys, before they get out there in the field, they'll go in a huddle and they'll say a prayer. But sure. what about the guys that don't go and say a prayer? Are they, you know, ostracized or fired? No. If you want to do it, do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. That's how it should have been here. So it's very stupid on the owner's part for trying to force this because even though they're going to say we fired you because you raised your voice, there's not enough to suggest that. It sounds to me that it's all religious discrimination. Yeah, and I can't agree with you more, absolutely. The, uh, the, I just, it, it, it goes back to the whole thing, man. If you're going to say something like that, just be prepared to defend yourself because of it, because you're not going to get away from it that easily. It's one of the reasons I don't run for office. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> People ask me all the time, it's like, ah, you don't, you don't have enough grave diggers for the bones in this fellow's skeleton closet. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> the anthropology anthropological dig in my closet usually so um the uh <laughs> huff post uh, giving us actually i'm not a big fan of the huff post uh, I'll, I'll say that in my uh my right-leaning beliefs but yep. uh, sometimes they do come up with some pretty good stuff and i'll just i'm sure they're they're snappy journalists but uh this is something although i don't 
I don't advocate nonviolence when it comes to bullying, <laughs> but I have to live within my bounds. Um, you know, as a kid, if someone bullied me, you're going to get it back. Um, but these days we live in different times. And I know that you wanted to, uh, to talk a little bit about uh, schools and going back to school. Here is something that's very useful that the HuffPost put out this week. Four rules to help your kids stand up to bullying in schools. Um, your kid's going to, it's going to happen. It's going to happen in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a, uh, a little bit or a large amount of bullying, whether it's face-to-face or whether it's social media, it's going to happen. And, and, and it's, it's in a different, different methods, different modes, and uh, you have to educate your children about it. And I'm glad that, 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 that we're on this because I'm going, to, I'm going to share this with my children today. There's um, four rules they talk about, and they call it Stand Up to Bullying. S-T-A-N is the operative acronym. Um, rule number one, S, show strength. Showing strength does not mean flexing muscles or challenging a bully to a, an arm wrestling contest. Rather, teach your kids how to show their inner strength by speaking with confidence and have an even voice and standing an appropriate distance from the bully. Not nose to nose, but, you know, not backing down either. Um, encourage your child to look a bully directly in the eye. That's one thing that people lose sight of sometimes is eye contact makes a big difference. It's one of the best ways that young people can demonstrate strength to a bully. Uh, rule number two, tell, T, tell a trustworthy adult. Keyword there, trustworthy. The main strategy of a child who bullies is to make a victim feel alone and powerless. And the best way a child can counter that strategy is to tell a helpful adult that this is happening and ask for the adult's support. The aggressive young person realizes that he will not be able to keep a victim isolated. The victim is strong enough to reach out and connect with others. He begins to lose that power. Now, obviously, sometimes adults fail to acknowledge the seriousness of bullying, and that's where we as adults have to pay attention and listen and don't make kids feel like they're going to be a tattletale if they tell an adult. Guess what? That's exactly what the bully wants them to think. Be the tattletale. Tell, tell the adult. Tell the teacher. Tell the principal. You know, make sure that you can get an adult on your side. Rule number three, assert yourself. A, in the challenge of uh, the heat of an, account, an encounter with a physically, verbally, or emotionally aggressive peer can be very challenging for a child to respond effectively. Kids learn and practice assertive phrases for standing up to bullies. And I like these because, you know, and, I, and I've tried to tell my children this, it's, you know, tell, you know, if your friend's picking on you, tell them you don't like it. Tell them that's not what friends do. You know, say, hey, that's not cool. Knock it off. Cut it out. I like the way I look. And that wasn't funny. I could take a joke, and that wasn't one. That wasn't even funny. It was mean, and friends don't do that to friends. Be honest with the people that are trying to push you around. Assert yourself and let them know exactly how you feel. And rule four, do it now. And one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're up against a bully is to ignore the repeated bullying signs and hope that the problem will just go away. It's not going to. It's going to get worse. So tell someone or take action now. I thought it was a great article, and actually I'm going to share that on my social media today. Uh, I don't know if you have that uh, ability as well. We'll probably direct people there, Peter, so yeah. people can get a hold of that article as well. So, no, it's a, but, it's a uh, good article I mean, and, and a really good topic. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that um, and I, I'm going to give you some, some of my input because obviously, you know, you and I are both parents and, um, you know, I know that my child has, my oldest kid has dealt with areas of bullying um, or issues of bullying. But I've also, as an attorney, I've been involved in a large number of lawsuits that dealt with bullying and primarily I represented the school boards or the schools or the principals in connection with these cases um, 
assigned by an insurance company to defend them. And I, I've seen a, a tremendous amount of information. And I've seen the way that um, you know, schools fail students. And I've seen ways that students fail to take the proper action and end up getting hurt. And, um, you know, I have to tell you that I think I am, am more in line with uh, looking at, at, at the ability of kids and parents to protect themselves than I am uh, interested in defending the school boards. I mean, I did that years ago because I represented an insurance company, and as their attorney, I was assigned to some of these cases. Um, and, and, you know, in every lawsuit, in every cause of action, in every type of, of case that you find, you will find those people who are just looking to make some money. It really didn't happen to them. But I've seen, especially in bullying cases, the overwhelming majority of these cases really involve kids that are, are being bullied. And I think that parents need to be aware of it because back when you and I were young, bully was, you know, the, the, the big kid on the playground that stole your lunch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not what it is yeah. now. And the states have recognized bullying. Uh, there's laws in every state about bullying. They define bullying. And, and, you know, you've got to be aware of it as a parent. I'll tell you a story that happened with, with my son last year. And my son goes to a, a private school. He goes to a Catholic school. And um, early last year, there was a student who was kind of making fun of, of my son. My son's very smart um, and very loving and forgiving and when, you know, people are being mean to him, he doesn't really even realize it sometimes. He just, he's the type of kid that thinks, oh, they must be having a bad day, right? Unlike me, where if somebody looks at me cross, I'm thinking to myself, you hate me, and there's got to be a reason why. And, you know, meanwhile, it has nothing to do with me. <laughs> but, uh, so my son had this problem with this kid who was making fun of, of what he chose to wear on Halloween at the school and some of the things that he was interested in. And... You know, my, my kid's name's Brendan, and Brendan never told us immediately that there was a problem because he thought, well, you know, maybe he's just not being mean. He's just trying to be silly, and it's not coming out right. And then about midway through the year in January, uh, my mother had passed away. And, you know, it was really upsetting because to have a, a parent pass away, I was close with my mother. Shortly after my mother died, he came to me and he said to me, listen, you know that kid? Uh, that I've mentioned before. Now, he'd never mentioned that he had a problem before, but just in passing, mm -hmm. I said yes. He said, well, you know, he told me that he's going to come and kill my, the rest of my family, you know, knowing, obviously, that Brendan was out because my mother had died. So at that point, Jeez. I was, like, I was ready to, to have, start a lynch mob. And I was furious because I just <laughs> lost my mother, and now we've got this kid tormenting my son. And it turns out that other kids were experiencing the same thing, and it wasn't until that incident that anyone brought it to the attention of the school. So why am I telling you this? Well, something bad could have happened between October when this started and January when I decided to get involved. And I think that too many kids and too many parents, too many kids are afraid to bring it to the attention of their parents, and too many parents are afraid to make waves. Um, you know, you'll have those parents that say, oh, you know, well, maybe my kid just got it wrong, or uh, I don't want to go in and cause trouble, but it's, it's something you should investigate. 
A few years ago, I handled a case where a kid was very, very artistic, very artsy. Um, and it's a, a pretty known, ca- a pretty well-known case in New Jersey. He was picked on by this athletic kid, the complete opposite end of the spectrum of what he was. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and, and that's not surprising. No, I mean you've got the artsy kid and you've got the athletic kid, and this is seventh grade we're talking about. And this kid was um, not the type of kid to to go after you physically, but he'd go after you because he was typically smarter than, than the average bear at the school. So throughout the course of the school year, the athletic kid was constantly picking on, berating him, saying things to him, getting him to the point where, you know, he, the, the, the smart kid had had enough. So at one gym uh, session, the athletic kid had, had done an activity and the teacher said to him, oh, good job. So when they got back in the locker room, the smart kid said to the athletic kid, Oh, good job, you know, because he had had enough of being picked on. And he'd also, by the way, this is interesting, reported it to the school and to his parents numerous times. Well, on the way out of the locker room, the athletic kid backhanded him in the stomach. This smart kid, unbeknownst to anyone, had a spinal disorder, and there was a bone that was dislodged, and it ended up paralyzing him from the neck down. And so now, yeah, I mean, this this is serious. So the school was sued. And the lawsuit essentially focused around the fact that the school knew or should have known, and they did nothing to prevent this. And had they stepped in when they had the opportunity, it is possible that this incident, this paralysis, might not have occurred. And ultimately, the case settled, and the school did pay a significant amount of money. But if I were that kid or that kid's parents, I would have rather that somebody put pressure on the school to do something sooner, not wait until an incident like this occurred. And I think that that's an important lesson that every parent needs to know. When your kid comes home and tells you that they're being picked on or bullied or that someone's taking photos of them on their iPhone or their Android phone and they're laughing at them, I think that in this day and age, parents got to have to take it seriously. I don't think it's good advice to say to your kid, oh, just toughen up or get a thicker skin. I think you as the parent, have to investigate what it is your kid's complaining about. And I think that you've got and to be – go ahead. It, it, it's very easy for parents to do that as well, yeah, because you're not there, you're not experiencing it. You're taking the word of what your child's saying and making sure that they're not blowing it out of proportion. And then the fact that, like you had said, you know, with the pictures and the phones, and it can spiral out of control so quickly. Yeah, there's no way of, of stopping – the uh, distribution of a photo. You know, there was there was a kid who was taking pictures of another kid in, in the men's room and sent those pictures out. And, um, you know, that kind of destroyed this other kid because even though a lawsuit was filed and the photos were taken down, once you send out a picture into the social media world, you know, up in, in, into the cloud, you never get it back, and you can't stop it from further distribution. Once it's out there, it's out there. And it's so important. Yeah. You know, I think that in, in addition to parents listening to their kids when they tell you that there's a problem at school or that they're being bullied, I think that, that proactively parents really need to take responsibility and look at the social media that your kids are, are engaged in. And Here's my take on this, right? I've got 
a 12 and a half year old, uh, an almost, I guess, eight and a half year old, and then a, and then a three year old. My 12 and a half year old does not have Facebook, does not have Twitter, does not have a YouTube account. I don't see any value in it. I don't see any benefit to it. If my kid wants friends, let him go out and make real friends, not Facebook friends. But so many kids in his class, so many kids that are, are 11 and 12 and 13, they have these social media pages. If you go to the terms and conditions on the page itself, Facebook doesn't allow 12-year-olds to have pages. But, you know, how difficult is it to modify your age? You know, it's yeah, not. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's self-reporting, yeah. <laughs> right. And parents have to be aware of this, things like Snapchat and, and all these different and new developing social media outlets. I think it's the parent's responsibility not just to give your child a phone and say, here, this is so that, you know, I, I can track you on your way but to and from school, but, but to take that phone and see what they're doing and to talk to them about social media because you can do something now as an eighth grader, high school student, you know, as a senior in high school that could come back to haunt you when you're an adult. And I think that oh, parents absolutely. need to... Absolutely. Yeah, they really need to, I think, understand it. It's not good enough for a parent to say, well, I'm just not tech savvy and, you know, I didn't know. That's that's not a good enough answer. I think that you have to look into it and you have to see because bullying now is shifting from physical and, and verbal in person to social media behind the scenes. You know, bullies typically are always cowards. And now with, with social media the way it is, it's so easy to hide behind the computer screen or your cell phone and send out damaging pictures and, and texts and information about others. Um, it's, you know, I'm going to just, I know you love my stories. I'm going to share one more with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, was a, there was a case I was involved in where um, a girl just did not like this other girl. Uh, we're going to call it girl A, girl B. So girl A didn't like girl B primarily because girl B stole girl A's girlfriend, not boyfriend, I'm sorry, boyfriend. And they were, I think they were juniors in high school. So ultimately the boyfriend breaks up with girl B. So now neither girl A nor girl B has the boy. But girl A can't get over this. She's so upset. So she befriends girl B for the purpose of, you know, like, like mean girl activity. Let's, let me befriend you so I can exploit you later on. So she finds sure. out that girl B has a boyfriend now, a new boyfriend that she's met over the Internet who's in Chicago, and she's engaging in um, sending naked pictures of herself to this boy. Okay? Not, not <laughs> something we advocate. It's wrong. You shouldn't do it. It's very stupid. But she did it, and she told girl A. So girl A took girl B's phone and was able to forward to herself a naked picture of girl B. She then went home. She uploaded the picture to her computer and then distributed it to adult video sites. So a few <laughs> months go by and somebody who was perusing porn sites finds this girl, girl B. And they contact her parents and they say, look, you're on here. And, of course, it was, you know, how can my uh, junior in high school be on this adult website? 
and it was a, a big, big to-do. Well, they go to the police. The police tra- trace the girl. Um, they find the IP information from the computer that uploaded the photo. Who owns the computer but Girl A's father? They arrest Girl A's father, <laughs> charge him with child pornography. Girl A's father says, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do this. They start to pressure Girl, girl A. Listen, if you don't come clean and say you know, that you did it, we're going to put your father in jail for a long time. It went on for years and years, and um, ultimately the criminal end of it resolved, and then there was a civil suit, and I'm not going to get into the details of it, but this is a result of or an example of how social media can create a tremendous amount of trouble for you as a parent, you as a student, you as a victim, you as the bully. And it's something that I think parents have to be responsible and learn about and teach your kid. And, you know, if your kid is going to do something stupid, because all kids do, I mean, at least as a parent, right, I, 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 my kid did something stupid. But I had been encouraging him or, or teaching him, um, don't do these things. At least, you know, you'd feel a little bit better about yourself. I know it's selfish to think like that, but what, because at some point, you know, what can you do? But at least I know I did the best that I could. Well, there's a level of responsibility. You know, you take and, and you, you consider Facebook or you consider social media to be harmless. Like you said, that's just, eh, they're playing on a computer. What harm could it do? Well, the problem is, is that computer and that social media is a tool, just like a shotgun is a tool. And if you are into hunting and you buy your child a shotgun, do you let the child run around the house with the shotgun at all hours of the day and night? No. You use it responsibly. You take him to the range. You supervise the child in the activity until they're a point where they can, you hope, responsibly make decisions based on that tool. And that's you know what you're saying about the lack of parental supervision is exactly that. People forget that this is a tool. It's not a play place, and it can go horribly wrong. Yeah. And, you know, from, from a, a parental standpoint, you as the parent could be sued under theories of negligent supervision if you fail to supervise your kid. If you fail to Absolutely. do, you know, we, I, I, there was so many cases where parents get sued because of negligent supervision and they argue, well, I didn't know, but it's your job to know. How could you not know? You need to look. You know, and... and (laughs) Yeah, they say ignorance is blissful. It's also grounds for negligence. Um, You have, yeah, parents and parties. You have parents... um, There was a case in... um, I thought it was one of the Carolinas where a young girl committed suicide and the parent was in on it. Was that in the Carolinas? I think it was in the Carolinas. Yeah, I don't remember who was north yeah. stuff. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, you know, it, it, things go so horribly wrong, but you're right. It's it's about supervision. It's about being a parent, how you're supposed to be a parent. And times change. You know, I mean, gosh and golly, we're not uh, back in the days of, of uh, horse and buggies. And there were there was risks back then. You didn't let your kid take the horse and buggy to town if you didn't know how to drive the horse and buggy unsupervised. Nothing okay. has changed. You have to pay attention to what your children are doing. If you don't, it could and probably will come back and bite you. Yeah, it'll, it'll bite you, it'll bite your kid, and it'll change people's lives forever. 
right. you know, I, I don't know if I told you this one, but um, a few years ago, again, there was a case that I, I was involved in where a woman was a single mom, and she was working hard day and night. She had a kid, and the kid happened to have a room filled with pictures of Hitler and swastikas. He was, uh, you know, he was, he was, you know, in this neo-Nazi group. And uh, ultimately, what happened is one one weekend they had a party. The mother was working. They thought it would be fun to uh, get revenge against this one girl who was not in the group. So they invite her over for a party. They tell her they want to be friends with her, make up with her because they had had a fight. The girl comes over. Boy lures her into the woods. Kids in the woods jump out behind the, from behind the trees, smack her with baseball bats, strip her, rape her, and almost kill her. And, um, you know, after the criminal prosecution and people went to jail, uh, there was a civil case. And this boy's mother was actually sued. The, the, the woman who owned the house was sued for negligent sure, supervision. Sure. And the issue was, you know, were you negligent? Did you owe a duty? Did you breach that duty? Were there damages? You know, was it the proximate cause? And it, it hinged upon the fact that she knew or should have known that her child was involved in something unsavory, to say the least. She tried to argue that just because there were pictures of Hitler in, in his room and swastikas, that she didn't know that he was involved in anything violent. But right, just right, right. By, by the nature of the swastika and, and Hitler, I mean, I think that it almost just implies violence. And, uh, and, and my so, child has pictures of marijuana leaves everywhere, and he probably doesn't smoke pot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I think that, um, you know, ultimately that case settled out, but, but she paid, it was her homeowner's insurance, but she paid money. Um, because she, she was negligent. You are negligent. Like, you, you, your marijuana example is perfect. You go in and you see, you know, reefer times on their, their newsstand and the pictures of marijuana. What do you think they're doing? Of course they're doing it. Um, but you know what? It's just we could do a whole show about parents and, and their, their duties and responsibilities uh, tied in with liability. But there's just so much we can say about it. We might even want to consider it because <laughs> it's not just marijuana. It's not just social media. What about steroids? You know, yeah, yeah. steroids are now federally, you know, a federal offense. In the 80s, they weren't. Now they are. And and what are the warning signs that parents have to look for with respect to, uh, to, to, to steroids or some of these other things that can hurt your kid, hurt others? You have, you have a kid going yeah. to the gym buying steroids? Well, it's a federal offense now. What do you think is going to happen to him? And the, the laws of common sense generally apply. You know, the old adage, if it's too good to be true, chances are it's not. I.e., if your kid has uh, increased his uh, bench press by 100 pounds in three weeks, chances are he's doing something that probably isn't right. And you know the, what, though? The, the, yeah. The, the key is, you, you, you as the parent, you've got to know that. You've got to know that he's increased his bench press. You have to know that he's using uh, Twitter. You've got to know that he's reading marijuana magazines. You have to care. Yeah. Plain yep. and simple. <laughs> yep. And, you know, I know parents work. I know that there's a lot of kids that, that come home from school by themselves. But that doesn't negate a parent's responsibility to look into what their kid is doing. And I think that, that, sure. that those kind of parents, the parents that aren't home all the time, 
those parents have, I think, a heightened responsibility to look and, and to protect their kid. So, yeah, I, that's just my two cents. I know we've gotten off the topic <laughs> of, of bullying, but, you know, I'm, I'm a very uh, strong believer that you can't just blame the schools, although the schools do have responsibility. You've got to be a good parent, and you've got to look at what's going on in today's world and try to do your best to protect your kids. Well, that's the thing. You don't stop being a parent because you ship your kid off on the bus in the morning. Yeah. Yep. And, 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 and that's, that's an ongoing issue, with, especially in a lot of places that, like you said, that may be a little bit more socially, economically challenged, um, okay, poor, because they do have to work two and three jobs to, to stay afloat. And that makes, like what you had said, now you have exposed your child to so much more. You, you know, and it's, I, can't, I can't imagine doing it myself. Um, I'm fairly fortunate that I have a skill set that allows me to do what I do, and I do it from home, and I put the kids on the bus in the morning, and I get them off the bus in the afternoon. Not everyone is that fortunate. But for those that aren't, you have to work that much harder because you have a responsibility, like what you said, that could come back and bite you pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we, we can talk about um, you know, maybe next Monday we'll make some time to talk about specific issues that uh, parents should focus on with respect to keeping their kids safe. And uh, maybe we can even do um, sort of a little primer to kind of educate parents about uh, social media and its impact. And, you know, I know that there are plenty of people out there that just don't understand it. And so maybe we no, can maybe do something. If we uh, can't uh, dig, dig up some resources where if they don't know what to do, uh, where yeah. can they go to find it? Yeah, Absolutely. I think it's important. So we'll look uh, to, to try to put something together like that. I think it's something that uh, is beneficial. Absolutely. All right. I guess that's going to be it for today. Um, just a couple reminders again. I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Uh, if you want to download your free audiobook, and, um, again, risk-free, there's, there's no uh, – subscription you can it's a 30-day free trial you get your free book you can cancel at any time use this special url because that's how you're going to get this deal on your free book go to audibletrial.com backslash utl radio it'll take you to the link you sign in you get your free book also comment on our facebook pages let us know if you like what we're doing if you like the stories that we're bringing you if you like the length of the show you know, your feedback's important. That's how we know whether or not something's working, if, you, if you're interested in it, if you want more. Um, you know, join the conversation because while I love talking to Bob and he loves talking to me, we're doing this to talk to you and to let you know about legal issues and business issues. And, uh, and you know, we want to know what you're interested in so we can bring you more of that content. Right, Bob? Absolutely. I love to inform. I had a friend of mine, what did he say? So It must be nice to have all that time all day to do nothing. I said, I use my time to make you a better person. <laughs> it's true. You know, that's the whole idea behind, behind what we're doing. I mean, I, I, are there other things that we could be doing? Yes, but I think that uh, is part of my social responsibility as, as you know, a law firm. Uh, to, to try to give back to the community and give back in a way that makes sense. It's very easy for a business to sit and donate money to, you know, the American Heart Association, but what are you really doing 
you know, with that donation. You're just giving money for the sake of giving money. We're trying to, um, you know, reach out to the communities, not just in a particular state, but across the country, because especially on this program, the information that we're sharing, uh, it's uh, of national value. And we're doing this in an effort to try to, to give people some insight into the law. Most lawyers, they don't want to tell you what's going on. They want to keep it all tight-lipped and make them, you know, appear to be uh, magicians and, and, you know, let's not expose the secrets. But I think that understanding the law, your rights, understanding business is really critical to the success of, of you as, as business people and as parents and, and people in today's world. So that's why we do it. We do it for you, but we want to hear from you so we know whether or not it's a good service for you and if the content's right. So contact us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, you can do so through Blog Talk Radio. Post us, you know, email us. Um, I'll give you my email address. My direct email address is plamont at utlradio.com. Send me an email. Let me know what you uh, thought about today's show. And also, finally, I want to remind you that um, this Thursday is our show. It's also September 11th. Um, I think we have a guest scheduled, but I'm going to see what we can do. I'm going to talk to our, um, our, our scheduling department and our um, production team to see if we can um, push off what we have scheduled and instead see if we can bring some people on to talk about September 11th having nothing to do with business or law. But at the time, I was down on, on Wall Street working uh, in New York, and it's something that uh, you know changes your life. It's a, a national incident that uh, I don't think that I'll ever uh, be rid of or, or forget. So uh, I think I'd like to do um, a tribute and we'll uh, hopefully be talking to some people who can share their stories about 9-11. I know we see it every year, and every year people forget more and more, I think, about what happened that day. So, um, Well, if you forget, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. You know, I think that when it first happened, I, mean, I remember being down there the year after, and there was, you know, millions of people who, who came out for the one-year anniversary, and then I was there the next year and the next year. And slowly over time, it seems that fewer and fewer people actually remember it as clearly as, as they did when it first happened. And, you know, now you've got the museum down there that you can go check out and you can still go down to the sites and they still read the names. But it's really, I mean, for me, that's uh, just one of the most um, unbelievable events of my lifetime. And, and having a connection to, to being there um, you know, I, I think uh, sort of strengthens that that memory for me. So I think that it's important that that we recognize it and we talk about it. And uh, I don't think people should ever forget it. So you know, and again, you, you have got these people that believe that it's a conspiracy theory. You've got people that believe that it's exactly as they said it was. But the fact remains, regardless of what your view is on it, people died. Innocent people died. People that should not have died did. And I think it's something that we always have to remember. So I think, uh, well put. yeah, I think if we can get some, um, some people on Thursday and we'll, we'll talk about, um, you know, our memories of September 11th and, uh, and, you know, hopefully we'll get some people that want to share because I think it's something that we all have to hear about. I really enjoy every year and I use the word enjoy, probably not the right one, 
but appreciate the uh, documentaries that are on. Last night I was watching one about September 10th, the night before the terrorist attacks, and what some people were doing, and it was uh, sort of an interesting take on on the events because I remember September 10th, and um, you know it, it has uh, an impact on what happened to me the next day, and, and uh, so you know I, I think it was interesting. I, I like watching the documentaries. I like remembering, even though it's a tragic, sad event. I, I, I want to remember it. I don't want to forget that. And I talk to my kids about it every year. So hopefully we'll get some people on and we can have uh, a good show on Thursday. So obviously Thursday is not going to be about the law, not going to be about business. I think that it's only fitting that we do some sort of tribute show. But following Monday, Bob and I will be back with more of the week in review. And then, um, you know, now with things returning to normal with school back in session and, and, you know, business back to the way it was. I have no more traveling to do. We should be back on track and uh, and get the show moving the way that uh, that it was. <laughs> the technology will allow. And, well, I'm not even going to yeah, <laughs> not even going to talk about that. <laughs> gremlins everywhere. But uh, well, what did I learn from today? Don't sit on the street corner and try to produce produce a show. Right? We're going to go inside. That's exactly correct. Have the cheesesteak after lunch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm going to try to do that. <laughs> All right, Bob. So that's it for today. Uh, We'll see everybody on Thursday, and then uh, join me and Bob uh, next Monday, and we'll do more of what we do. And until then, remember that there's power in understanding the law.